Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where I speak with creative entrepreneurs, artists, and other insanely interesting people to hear their stories learn about their molding moments, tipping points, and spectacular takeoffs. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. 
As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Natalia, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much uh, for taking the time to join us. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Yeah, my pleasure. So I, I came across you by way of our mutual friend, uh, Michael Roderick, who also was a, a former guest here. And he he described what you did. And I was like, okay, I'm not sure what she does, but that all sounds really fascinating. <laughs> uh, it's a strange combo of things. So tell us a, a bit about yourself, your background, your story, and, and how that has led you to doing the work that you're doing today. Well, um, currently, I would describe myself as an um, anthropologist, comedian, primatologist, producer, writer, uh, a lot of different, um, kind of a multi-hyphenate um, uh, kind of personality. But um, basically, I, I study spider monkeys, which uh, falls into the anthropology, primatology world. And then I'm also, I've been an actor for 17, 18 years um, professionally and had, you know, a few minor successes. And I found that the biggest success so far has been combining my love of science and primates um, with my love of comedy and making videos that use comedy to explain scientific concepts. So, and that's actually what my goal was as a child. And um, this all kind of started um, when I was a little girl, I used to have uh, recurring King Kong nightmares um, starting at age two or three. I was really, really young. And um, I still get them, believe it or not. But uh, it wasn't until I was about seven or eight that I learned a lucid dream and I was able to shrink King Kong down to like the size of an orangutan. And I kind of battled that sort of fear of this giant ominous primate and kind of fell in love with them. But um, as I, you know, was going along in school, I, you know, I did, was doing really well in math and science and when I was younger, um, but then I got to high school and I just, my, my math and science skills were seriously lacking. And I just kind of hit that weird point um, where I just kind of gave up um, trying to be that math and science geek. And I figured I, I excelled in theater. I'll just go that route. So um, I kind of switched gears and, and um, fell in love with, uh, you know, performing and acting and, when I finally did go to um, to college, I um, I decided to be a theater major, but um, due to a series of events, I ended up dropping out of um, college my first year and going into the film industry because my my father actually was in the film industry and my mother was a professor, so I had this kind of two worlds that I was very um, familiar with. But I um, at that time I was gravitating more towards my father's world of, of filmmaking and. Um, yeah, that's how I got, you know, wrapped up in the film industry. And, and I really wanted to perform. But um, like many actors who are a little afraid of, of success, a little afraid of failure, I kind of just focused on on doing production and, and kind of got lost in that world. And um, but it allowed me to go back to school because I, I worked insane hours during the weeks, you know, like 80 hour work weeks in production. And but I was going to night classes and fell in love with anthropology after taking my first anthro class. And, um, 
you know, kind of continued on that route until um, I was about, I was 25. I actually was in a, a very serious accident. I got hit by a truck. And um, the truck that hit me actually was my own. It's kind of a funny story. I, um, it was a freak accident. I rear-ended somebody on the freeway, and, and they pulled over onto the shoulder. And um, I pulled over behind them. This is Los Angeles, by the way. For those listening locally, we could, I'll say the 405-101 interchange, and that'll mean something to you. <laughs> and so uh, when I pulled over, or they pulled over, I knew that this was the dumbest thing ever. Nobody should ever be on the shoulder of the freeway. I, I just saw a special the week prior where a cop had gotten killed this way. So they got out of their car. Um, I got out, and I asked them, can we get off the freeway? Because the next exit was another entrance to another freeway. So I didn't want them to think I was running from them, but they didn't speak English. They were in town from Japan. So it was just, you know, everything was stacked against me at that point. So we were exchanging information. And while we were doing that, a woman came up on the shoulder and hit my truck going 70 miles per hour. And, um, my truck hit me and then I got pinned between my truck and that car and then thrown onto the off ramp. So I had uh, a significant amount of injuries. Um, and, you know, almost bought the farm <laughs> for all intents and purposes. I, I uh, almost lost my leg. I, you know, I had a huge crush injury to my lower um, right leg and all the ligaments and tendons connecting to my foot were severed. And I broke my femur and punctured lungs, ruptured spleen, um, you know, ma- major concussion, um, had some memory issues afterwards. Um, but, you know, it kind of was a huge, it, it, on, and, you know, it was a huge wake up call for me. Um, some people you know, go through their midlife crisis. Some people get hit by trucks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) For me, it was getting hit by a truck that kind of woke me up and made me realize, you know, you're not, you're not living, um, fully. You're not, you're not going after your dream. You're afraid of success. It's not even afraid of failure. It's afraid of, of success. And, um, I kind of changed my, um, my route and, um, I didn't have health insurance when this all happened. So I kind of had to work multiple jobs to get by. Um, you know, I had a leg brace. I had, you know, a really bad limp for two years until they, I had a couple surgeries afterwards to fix my, my, uh, my funky, my funky walk. Um, you know, I, I had kind of a, I remember at one point I had a cane, so I had my, my pimp walk, but, um, it kind of got me, um, you know, it was that kick in the, in the keister that got me to go back to school for real and um, focus on anthropology. It got me at the same time also pursuing my acting career in a way that I'd never done before, in a way that I just, I kind of was voracious and I wanted to succeed. Um, and, you know, after finishing up um, my undergrad, I, I actually, during my undergraduate studies, I fell in love with a subspecies of, of gorilla called Grower's Gorillas. And um, they only live in Democratic Republic of Congo, which is also one of the most dangerous places on earth currently. And um, I really wanted so badly to work there. And in 2008, I I was possibly going to work there, but um, with this um, group that was creating these composting briquettes for um, basically creating an alternative fuel to charcoal, because that's a huge problem, this charcoal harvesting that's destroying the forest there. And that's specifically in the Virunga National Park area, which is more mountain gorilla territory. But I was hoping that if I got on the ground in DRC, I could make my way to the Grower's Gorillas. And unfortunately, because it got really bad there sociopolitically, that got scratched. And so um, I, as luck would have it, um, my university, Cal State Northridge, acquired a, a wonderful primatologist by the name of Dr. Christina Campbell. 
and she works with spider monkeys. And I had no interest <laughs> in working with New World monkeys. And New World monkeys are just anything that are in um, the neotropics, uh, South America, Central America, and Southern Mexico. And I had no interest in spider monkeys at that point. But she had just been contacted by an organization in Panama that wanted to do a conservation project. And, and that, for me, conservation was that, you know, that bell that dinged. And I was like, oh, okay, I can, I can maybe switch species if it means helping to save the species. So, um, I got, um, tapped to basically be, I was a monkey counter. I, uh, when I enrolled in grad school, I, I was originally going to be the one that, um, was going to do the more ethno primatological work where I worked with the people and I tried to encourage them to reforest. But the guy that was going to do the original census, um, decided not to. So plans changed. And then I got, um, thrown into the mix as the person that was literally going out uh, into the forest and finding them, because basically I was told that they, there were no monkeys out there. And, and, um, but the, uh, the local population told me differently. And so my job was to go out there and find these spider monkeys. And, um, and that's what I did. I had a, a wonderful guide, Jairo Batista, who, um, is amazing, knows so much about the land, so much about, you know, the, the monkeys themselves and, 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 you know, could be a botanist in his own right. I mean, he, he knows everything about everything. And, and when I got down there, it was kind of funny. I thought my Spanish was amazing. <laughs> I was wrong. So we, uh, we had a lot of fun, the two of us, the first few weeks trying to, uh, understand one another. And we would just, sometimes we'd get so frustrated. We'd just start yelling at each other. He'd yell at me in Spanish. I'd yell at him in English and, and then we'd laugh. But, um, of course now my Spanish is a heck of a lot better. Um, but you know, we actually, in fact, when we did our preliminary field work in Panama, um, in January, 2010, we couldn't find any spider monkeys. And so I was really nervous. I thought, Jesus, I'm, I'm doomed. There's no way I'm going to find these guys. You know, my, my thesis is going to be, well, we tried. Mm -hmm. So, um, when I went back in June, um, I remember when I, or yeah, I went back in late May, uh, we were able to find them. I think my first day out and I cried, you know, it was one of those, we went super deep, super remote. Um, in, in the future, the only way we got to that particular forest fragment was by horseback. And, um, I, I and, and, and the guide, it's really funny cause it's, it's really rural Panama. And, um, this one particular guide, his name is Archimedes, and um, uh, the way you would find him is you would stand on a hill and you would yell his name. And if he emerged from his, he lived in kind of a, I mean, for all, it was it was like a, a very um, rudimentary home, kind of like a shack. Um, and he would just emerge from it, and that's how you knew if you had him for the day. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that's how we got him that first day. And so, you know, he let us, he knew exactly where they were took us right to them. And every time I went back to that particular fragment, I always found them. And it was the same actual group. It was a female with two, um, two infants, which I've seen grow up since then, which is really exciting for me. Um, but that was my, um, my foray into field work. Um, you know, before that I just attended primate field school. So I spent, uh, several months basically tracking and looking for these primates and then, um, GPSing their locations. And we've, my data are all in maps and we've used that data now to understand, um, the forest connectivity because the area that I work in is the most deforested area of all of Panama. It's, it's a dry tropical forest. And most of the landowners there are cattle ranchers these days. And, um, 
uh, they cut down the forest in order uh, for their for their cattle to graze, and unfortunately, that's um, ruining the environment for anything that lives in a tree, including spider monkeys. So, um, but the good the good news is um, a lot of times they don't cut down forests that are right on a stream or the river because it allows for shade for their cattle to you know they can drink they can stand in the shade and it's also way too treacherous to cut down because it's all in these incredibly steep hillsides which are fun for us the monkey trackers um because i still have uh, my leg is my you know from the accident i'm i'm pretty much all put back together i you know i can run i can kickbox i'm really really active i love to dance but i do have a bad leg so i do fall very easily (laughs) So I call myself the Jack, the Jack Tripper of primatology because I will fall uphill. I will fall downhill. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of pathetic, but, um, you know, the spider monkeys, when I, when we did find them, actually, they, um, they are, thank goodness they're not habituated, meaning they're completely afraid of humans and, and, and are aggressive in a way. Some have thrown tree branches at us. Some have thrown fruit. I've gotten pelted in the fruit by, or uh, pelted in the kidney by, um, by a group, uh, you know, and they were throwing these sabo fruit, which are these big fruit that they enjoy eating and apparently throwing. Um, so, you know, right now we're working to, um, you know, we want them to have some, uh, some degree of fear of humans only because there has been, um, documentation of, of spider monkeys being, um, eaten in that region. Not recently, but, you know, we don't know if, if people will maybe get a little creative and, and try to do that again. So, But, um, yeah, that's kind of how I got into the spider monkey world. And then I I came back to the U S wrote up my thesis, um, learned how to, you know, convert all my data into these maps and, um, graduated and I started, but before I I graduated from grad school, I, I wanted really badly to combine my two passions of, of, um, comedy and, 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 and performing with science. And, uh, I had been pitching TV shows for about six months at this point in the beginning of 2011. And a good friend of mine said, you know what? I, I enjoy you just talking about anthropology. Why don't you just shoot something? Why don't you just do it yourself? And, and you know, sometimes it takes somebody telling you, you can do it for you to do it. And so I went ahead and, um, I wrote a couple videos. One of them is called the story of boobs, the breast tale ever told. And that led to, um, the Today Show, they actually found it, um, ironically enough, one of the producers, uh, Marianne Zellner, um, who I, I credit very much for, for giving me the confidence to keep going on, she, uh, she, she Googled anthropologist and boobs and found, and found my video. And so um, the Today Show was going to do a special on America's obsession with uh, tatas. And so she had me on talking about boobs <laughs> with Ann Curry, of all people. <laughs> And, um, so it was a dream come true, but it was, you know, it was kind of a stunning moment of like, how the hell did we get here? You know? Oh my gosh. And, um, so that happened. And then a couple days later, Stephen Colbert made fun of us on the Colbert report about, um, I see NBC's doing a thing on boobs. What about butts? So I'm not one to miss a uh, opportunity like that. So I filmed a rebuttal, um, calling, uh, calling Colbert out and saying, let's create butt week. And, um, it kind of became a thing. (laughs) And so I did a couple butt week videos. Um, I got my grandpa, my dad, my brother to endorse butt week. I made butt week booty shorts. I took them to burning man because I go to burning man every year. And, um, 
you know, I, I kind of wanted to make a, a fun, um, movement, if you will, <laughs> um, encouraging people to uh, understand the uh, evolution of the current human booty because uh, not uh, non-human primates don't have a, a keister like we do, um, to talk about um, how to keep your booty safe by, you know, eating lots of fiber, uh, staving off any sort of colorectal cancers, encouraging people to get colonoscopies after they hit 50, um, and then, uh, you know, just celebrating it, whether it's you know, flat as a pancake or, or big as a shelf, you know, we gotta, we gotta respect the boot. So <laughs> this is where my poor mother, who is an academic kind of blushes. Cause she's like, Jesus, how did, how did this happen? Um, so I made butt week number two with Liberty and just ask for all. And <laughs> that was a thing for a while. And I, I had a website and even had butt week mugs made up that say, uh, aspocalypse now. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, but again, I'm, 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 my big goal is to use comedy, um, to educate. Mm. And if, if that, if comedy of coming up with something so silly as butt week or the story of boobs gets people to really, uh, understand our, um, evolution and our morphology and, and appreciate it in a way that maybe they wouldn't, um, if they thought it was just there for shits and giggles. Um, I, I think that's, a, a, you know, that's a start. Uh, I, I always, I mean, my, my heroes are people like Mel Brooks who, you know, use satire to engage his audience and, and Colbert and, and John Stewart who, you know, obviously with shows like daily show and Colbert report, it's, it's very clear that people love their news with a, a huge dose of, of comedy because sadly, sometimes our state of affairs can only be um, made better or, or people will only watch if, if they feel like they're at least getting a chuckle out of it. Um, and, and they're learning far more. It's almost even <laughs> more unbiased than a lot of the news outlets these days. Mm-hmm. So, um, for me, my, my ultimate goal, um, as I keep doing this is, uh, to get a science comedy show off the ground that will bring science, uh, you know, not just anthropology, which is my focus, but all types of science, um, to the, the mainstream and, and being able to, uh, showcase my friends. Cause I have a lot of friends who are scientists in, in multiple fields. Mm-hmm. Um, that to me would be a dream come true. So I'm working, working, working hard towards that. And, um, in the meantime, I, I have a partner that we're, we're, we've created a website that um, is their, our goal is to bring anthropology to the mainstream and that's called Boaz network. And, um, we're, it's a social networking site for, uh, anthropologists and non-anthropologists that want, are interested in the field, that they can share videos, blogs, um, ask questions, engage with one another. Um, you know, so prominent anthropologists can talk to students and vice versa. And, um, we really hope that it'll become a hub for everything that's anthropology related. So that's another thing that, um, I'm doing hopefully to, to kind of get science to the masses, you know, democratize science, if you will. Mm-hmm. Wow. A uh, lot of different stuff there. So I, I, I actually, I want to go back as, as far as your childhood and you'll find that I, I tend to do this to everybody. That's uh, right. <laughs> uh, you know, one of the, the, the first things that really struck me about the way you told the story is of, of having this sort of childhood dream, which has pretty much seemed, at least from everything you've told me, seems to have been the driving force behind how your life has played out. And I think as adults, we lose that. Uh, I think we, we forget about it. Uh, it's discouraged by people because it doesn't sound practical or it sounds impossible. And 
sometimes I think that rekindling that is often sort of how we, we navigate the midlife crisis. I'm really curious, based on, on your own experience, I mean, when you have seen people in that situation um, throughout your career, throughout your life, I mean, how do we rekindle that? Um, you know, that sounds might sound silly, but I, I like writing down my dreams, like my literal dreams, mm-hmm. um, because I think those also inform very much what's going on in our, our brain and, and our psyche and, and, and maybe what we are lacking in our day-to-day life. Um, and I listen to that a lot of the times because I'll dream things. Like, for instance, the day before, um, two nights ago, the day before Earth Day, I, I dreamt that um, I got into a graduate program to work with chimpanzees in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And I woke up. And I woke up and, and I, I remembered it and I thought, that, that's so strange, you know, maybe because I'm, I'm, I'm on that to PhD or not to PhD track. I don't know if I want to do that. So I thought maybe I should start listening. And then I went back to sleep and I dreamt that I was pregnant <laughs> and I was on a plane and, and um, you know, but I was, the, the plane was not really destined for anywhere. So I woke up and I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> but I don't know. I feel like um, one of the ways we can really stay in touch with our childhood dream is, is to not ignore our real uh, literal dreams when we're sleeping, because I think a lot of them have something to, they have something to tell us. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying I, I want to jump on a plane and, and go to DRC and work with chimpanzees <laughs> and I'm not looking to go get pregnant, but, um, you know, maybe writing these things down and really thinking on them. Um, I also think imagination is something that we should never abandon. Um, whether it's just sitting down and writing in a journal about your thoughts and your feelings about where you are presently. Um, I think that's a great way to understand, um, maybe if something's missing, um, maybe go back to a dream that you did have in childhood or, or even five years ago and, and think, you know, did, did I abandon something? I should be giving another shot. Mm-hmm. Um, because I know that I've definitely done that. And I, I still, I still go back and I think, you know, I always wanted to do blank, you know, maybe I should really flesh that out again. I, I just started writing a, uh, a book that I'm not sure it's going to go anywhere, but it's just, I used to write these absurd stories as a kid, you know, really just outlandish stories. And I thought, you know what I'm writing, I've been writing, you know, theses and all these like, you know, uh, scientific papers. Maybe I should just try writing something absolutely outlandish and just see how, how that feels. And, um, it might go somewhere. It, it might not, but I think, um, going back and, and trying things out, if you have the time and the bandwidth is, is, is worth it. Um, also, I think surrounding yourself by people that in, encourage your creativity is, is so important. I, I know that, like we talked about, sometimes people tell you you can't do things. Mm-hmm. Um, even that person is yourself. <laughs> so I think being able to find people that... Um, might not tell you, oh, yeah, you know, like they're not constantly patting you on the back and saying, oh, of course you can do anything. I mean, there's those parents that are just say, you buy a child can be anything, and that's great, but you have to also be realistic. But I think there's also those friends that can be very, um, they're the naysayers, and, and sometimes those naysayers need to be ignored. And they also, I think, serve a purpose in the fact that I, I don't know about you, but when someone tells me I can't do something, mm-hmm. it almost uh, it fuels the fire. <laughs> You know, oh, 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 really? I can't do it. Just watch me now. Yeah. Um, but it also is nice to have those people that that tell you you can do something and will help you along the way. Um, we, you know, we, we. I told or you mentioned that Michael uh, Roderick introduced us, and he's very much a, a you know somebody that believes in in people that uh, doing um, 
multiple things with their life that these multi hyphenates, Mm -hmm. um, and that it is possible to be multiple things, um, and and to do them well. Cause I think that's a a big fear for a lot of people is they're afraid if they do do multiple things, they're going to lack in one of those hyphenates. You know, if you're a good actor, you know, you're not going to be a great primatologist or or vice versa. And, um, it just means you're going to have to work that much harder. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I love that you brought up this uh, this idea of not ever abandoning imagination. I think that's that's such a powerful statement. And you know, I think that I had somebody here once who told me we tend to judge ourselves before we express ourselves, and and that's that's often the curse I feel that keeps so many people trapped. And you know, I think in my own life, when I I look at things, I'll, I'll write down things in notebooks. And I, I've shared this probably on the show a handful of times now. That you know, I, I literally looked back in a notebook from forty three weeks ago. Now it's probably forty six <laughs> or fifty weeks, and in it was location ideas for the Instigator experience. And then I remember standing on stage thinking, "Wow, really? That's that's so bizarre." I mean, it was something we just imagined, that's put great. it on paper, and then it becomes reality. So I, I think that that is such a, a powerful statement that. You know, imagination is something that should never be abandoned. And yeah, as far as the people who light a fire under your ass when they tell you you can't do it, I've got plenty of those. Uh, <laughs> well, it's funny. I mean, I, well, I, I forgot to even mention. Um, I did it. I was on a TV show last year. Uh, oh, actually, this year it finished airing uh, February fourteenth, mm-hmm. um, Valentine's Day, and it was a show about Bigfoot. And I was the co-host on the show. I was the science expert slash co-host. Um, uh, teaching these, con- it was a reality competition show called Ten Million Dollar Bigfoot Bounty, and um, I was teaching these contestants how to track animals. Uh, most of them knew how because they're hunters, but I had to teach them how to correctly collect biomaterials, like a scientist would when they're con- conducting a real scientific inquiry. And we actually were we had a mobile DNA lab, and we were able to test these biomaterials in the lab to see if it could possibly be Bigfoot DNA. So um, you know, but that was a great example of a show that. I remember telling people a few years ago, I would really like to combine my scientific knowledge and my, my you know, acting ability or performance um, uh, desires. And they kind of laughed at me and, and were like, really, how's that going to happen? And I said, I'd love to have my own show. And, and, and sometimes people, you know, they, they can see it, but at the same time, they know that it's, they want to protect you in a way. Like, that's a great idea, but really it's such a far fetched possibility let's not set yourself up for disappointment. Mm-hmm. And so it was a really awesome um, moment of realizing, even though it may be not be the sh- my, my dream show, I mean, I, I very much enjoyed myself. I'm not, I mean, I'm a Bigfoot skeptic. I'm a scientist first and foremost. And I think the, the probability of, of a large body bipedal undetected man ape living in the forests of Pacific Northwest is rather uh, unlikely, but, um, <laughs> I still can appreciate it for what it is. And I, and I, I remember driving at one point last year when I, when I finally signed the contract, cause it was a, you know, it was a funny process. It takes a while. And I signed the contract less than 16 hours before getting on a plane to go to the Pacific Northwest. So it happened very quickly, but I remember driving thinking, Holy, Holy crap. I have a show. Mm-hmm. I have a sh- How did this happen? I have a show. You know, and I knew that it wasn't going to be the biggest show ever, but it was still at that moment where it's like all that work that you did, it wasn't for naught and things are happening and, and you're, and, and it's those baby steps that lead to the bigger steps. And it really is learning to believe in your craziest of ideas, um, 
because that those are those those are the ideas that are going to get noticed. Those are the ideas that are original. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, a lot of times, as, as we know, with the series of remakes that are being made every every year, a lot of times the world is afraid of originality. But at the same time, those remakes kind of get swept under the rug really quickly. It's it's those fresh ideas, those you know innovative new uh, concepts that get all the attention. And and it might take a while, but it'll hit. And and you'll be happy that you stuck with it. I think. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I always say if if you if you try to copy what's come before you, at, at best, you'll become a pale imitation of your predecessors. I love that. Um, you know, th- there's there is uh, there's still there's so much here that um, I want to get into. One of the the <laughs> things that you brought up was uh, you know being in theater in high school and and having this comedic and performance background. So you know, my my questions around that really are around story and performance and the elements of that 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 come into the work that we do because i i think that it doesn't matter what your career is in the modern world elements of that apply yes uh just given the nature of the direction that everything is going with technology and i'm really curious kind of how being a performer and a comedian has shaped your storytelling perspectives and and shaped your entire view on storytelling and, and developing narratives around all the stuff that you do um and, and you know what are the takeaways for people listening i think that everybody has a story to tell first and foremost um i really do i, I actually just wrote a, a abstract for an anthropology conference that i'm hoping to present at um saying that anthropologists because it's an anthropology conference, anthropologists by nature and by design are storytellers. Um, but I think everybody has a story to tell. And one of the things we have to remember is it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be hysterical. It doesn't have to be dramatic. It just has to be yours and it has to be real. And for me, you know, when I did theater growing up, um, one of the things that anytime you watch a performance that really um, strikes you, it usually there's something authentic about it. There's something real. There's something that, um, they own their performance. They own that character. And, and for me, when you in particular own your story, whether, whatever it is, um, I think that is what really, um, makes it special mm-hmm. and something that can be very, um, poignant, um, like I said, you don't have to cry on cue. You don't have to, there's a lot of things you don't have to do. Uh, you don't have to be uh, falling on the floor, spit, take hilarious, but I mean, everybody's story is going to have humor in it because <laughs> let's face it. Life, life is funny. And most, most of the time it's funny unintentionally. Um, you didn't mean to fall, but boy, was it funny when you did. Um, so I think it's learning to, um, not necessarily edit the story to make you look good too. Because yeah. <laughs> I know a lot of us, you know, we what we want to look is 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 um you know look our best, and and sometimes our mistakes are what make us better, mm-hmm. and and being able to admit them. I mean, I you know I, I kind of did a, a gloss over of my story. There's plenty of stupid <laughs> Natalia bonehead moves that I kind of just sort of glossed over. But if I really got into it, if I were writing a book about my life, you know, I would be remiss to, to, to omit those moments where I, I really made these horrible mistakes, but these mistakes also were things that um, allowed me to grow in ways that if I had done it perfectly, probably wouldn't have. Um, and also I think realizing when, when, when telling your story and, and I think there's moments where you kind of hit those aha moments, those, uh, those moments where you realize, um, 
things did happen for some sort of reason, you know, like you didn't get into the grad school of your dreams, but you ended up going to this, you know, second in your idea, second rate school and met your future spouse, you know, and, and, and had you not gone there, you would never have met that person. And, or had you not gone there, you would not have met your, your partner that you would have created this, you know, cure for cancer for, I mean, mm-hmm. I, that's obviously being grandiose, but the idea is things happen. And, and just because they don't happen on your terms, doesn't mean they're not the best and most interesting terms. So I think my takeaway for this is everybody's story is interesting everybody's story. And it's just remembering that and having faith in that and, and being real about what you have to tell. And also, um, not a mess and not omitting the messy stuff because the messy stuff is fun. (laughs) Planning for your next trip, elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. 
So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. You know, I, I think it's... It could hurt, but it's fun. It's really fascinating. Of all the examples you chose to use was not getting uh, into the grad school of your choice or what you consider a second-rate grad school because I ended up at Pepperdine and I considered that a, like a more or less a second-rate experience. Oh. And yeah, I mean, I went to Berkeley as an undergrad, so it was kind of like, okay, well, this is a step down. But it's interesting you say that because I look at everything that happened. I probably wouldn't be here having this conversation with you. Um, I, you know, I, I became an avid surfer because of it. So my, my sister always <laughs> tried to sell me on those virtues. She said, okay, you can't put a price on those two things. And, wow. and you're right. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where it, those things, I think we can, we can let them be catalysts or we can, you know, let them kind of derail our lives. And I realize now that I think it was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. Right. I, I, I agree. I mean, that's, Honestly, I, there's so many times I look back. I mean, I, I would have auditions. Specifically, I remember I auditioned. It was for Spider Man, and it was um, it was a it was a small role. It was playing a nurse in the movie, but still, it was Spider Man, and it was huge. And I wanted it so badly. And I thought, well, I know these guys because I, I used to work at Sony, and I knew all everybody there. I'm like, I have to get this. I, I I you know I put in the time. I I can do this. I can do this. And I remember it was an awful audition. I walked out of there, and I was like, what happened to you, Natalia? Where where was your head? And I didn't get it. And I was so upset, you know. And I and I do think it could have been one of those life changing. You know, even though it was a small role, it could have really catapulted me. But it also kept me on my track that eventually led me back to school for anthropology, which eventually got me to primate field school, which eventually got me into grad school. But then I talked to a woman. It was really funny. I I was, um, you're going to laugh. I do Tybo. (laughs) Well, it's actually called Drench. It's called Body Theory. It's the same people who did Tybo, but it's the brother and sister of Billy Blanks, Irene and Michael Blanks. They're awesome. And there's this girl that was in my class and we were talking one day. She's an actress. And she said, you know, I had hit my lowest point and I was going in for an audition and I, and she's very religious and she prayed to God that she would get the part. If not, she was going to give up on acting. And I said, what part was it? And it was the exact part that I auditioned for. It was the part of the nurse on Mm Spider-Man. And I I went back and I watched it. I'm like, holy crap, that was that part. And that is her. Wow. (laughs) And it was, that was the moment that she decided not to give up, that she got it. And it was like a sign from God in her way Mm -hmm. and her, in her, um, in her life. That's the way how she took it. And, and I believe that. And, you know, for her, I'm not a very religious person. I'll put that out there, but I'm I'm spiritual. And I, I thought that's wonderful. And that was such a great moment of, wow. Okay. I, it might've ruined my day, but it made, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. so it, it's those like funny moments, those serendipitous moments where you're like, wow. Okay. Just so I didn't get it. She did. And it, and it, and it turned her life around. So, um, yeah, I think instead of focusing on what you don't have, focus on what you do have, mm-hmm. um, and what is going right. It sounds so hippy dippy and, and, um, a little too, uh, maybe, optimistic, but at at some point you just got to be that way. (laughs) So, you know, on on that note, uh, I think it makes a perfect setup for a question that I've been wanting to ask you. I mean, the life of an actor or or the life of somebody in the entertainment industry is one that comes with a lot of hard knocks in general. I mean, you know, you hear more stories of people who tried to make it and didn't, um, than the other way around. And what I would imagine that gives somebody like you is an insane amount of grit. 
um, and persistence. And so I'm very curious how you've cultivated that over your life and over your career. <laughs> That's a good, it's a great question. Um, no, I, I, as a kid, I definitely, I was, a, I went through a lot of funny periods. I was not like a cool kid. I was definitely a tomboy as a child. I don't even like that term now because I hate giving gender some sort of role. But when I was a little kid, I looked like a little boy. Um, I loved playing in the mud. I was a kind of a, I don't know. Um, I, w- I was, I, I was a little different and, um, oops, sorry. That was my, my mailbox. Um, I was a little different. So I, um, I kind of got used to that. And then I kind of went through a chubby phase. And I think when you go through a chubby phase as a, as a kid, you learn to just sort of buck up because you get called all sorts of names. <laughs> I was, I actually, at one point I was called fat, hairy gorilla. I remember that one, <laughs> <laughs> which now I look back and I go, that's, that's not so bad. That's kind of a compliment. <laughs> um, but I kind of got used to being, um, I don't know, just sort of like not, not black sheep, but just sticking out like a sore thumb. And so, um, you know, it, that I think also helped, um, develop my, my humor is, um, you know, learning to kind of deflect any sort of insults by using humor. Mm-hmm. And so that, um, as time went on, I, I think became more and more of my, my MO and the way I, ha- I handled myself. Uh, if I didn't get something, I, cause I've, I've heard, I've definitely heard no far more times in my life than I've heard. Yes. I mean, I could probably count on my hands <laughs> the amount of times I've heard yes when it came to acting roles, but, um, it also, um, and you know, this because you're doing what you're doing, you hit that point where you're like, you know, if someone is not going to hire me, I'm going to hire myself and I'm going to do my own thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I know I can, and I've got the ability, and, and, I, and it's, it's literally just, I don't know, kind of hitting that point of realizing, you know, if nobody's going to do it, I better do it. And if, it, if I fall flat on my face and fail, at least I can say I tried. And so I think that's what ultimately, because I think that's what happened, you know, in 2010, 2011, when I was pitching shows and everybody was like, please, you know, science comedy together, ha, that's never going to work. And why the hell would we hire you? And all sort of that, you know, all that kind of naysaying stuff, which I totally get, you know, I mean, they want a name, got it. But, um, I just got me off my butt and made me do it myself. And so the whole idea of having grit, um, yeah, I mean, most definitely. And, and of course getting hit by a truck that kind of toughens you up. Um, you know, I've got a lot of resistance, to, you know, because when I got hurt, they, they basically said, you're not going to be able to walk for, you know, six months, run for a year, you know, if you could ever run again. And, you know, I was walking within three, running within six, because I just, you know, it, again, it's being told you can't do something is what really kind of puts that fire under your butt to say, yeah, oh, yes, I can. And, and I will. And, um, you know, so I think having a, a, a tough skin is essential for anybody who wants to be a I don't even think it's performing so much, but it's just creating because art is such a subjective, um, form of expression that, Oh, someone's always going to hate what you do. Yeah. You know, (laughs) someone's always going to say that's stupid. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. So as long as you like it and maybe a couple others, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, and in your case, Glenn Beck. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, there's Beck. also there's also the woman who says that she hopes I'm a better surfer than I'm a writer. My favorite Amazon two. That review. is, ju- you know what? 
go with it. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of those things that you're going to put on your, you know, in the next book when it's, you know, the bestseller, you know, it's like, those things are the best on Twitter. When I did the TV show, uh-huh. my, one of my favorite tweets was, um, I bet, uh, I bet Natalia is just a stripper named ginger. They blew all their budget on Superman, to which I replied, <laughs> right. To which I replied, um, if I'm, Ginger, does that make Todd? Todd was my co-host. Does uh-huh. that make Todd Mary Mary Ann? And no, I'm a cage fighter named Dream Crusher. And so, you know, that silly response got the guy laughing, and all of a sudden he became a fan, and he started mm-hmm. kind of tweeting back. You know, so it's stuff like that that you can kind of. I, I mean, that's why I love. I never was into Twitter until the show because I didn't really see a purpose for it, but now I see how it can really allow you to engage with the audience in a way that. Um, you can kind of win people over and you can fight them with, you know, either kill them with kindness or with comedy. Yeah. Because for me, killing them with comedy is the best, you know? I love that. You know, it's funny. I think uh, it was Kimmel or somebody who did a special, if you guys do a, a YouTube search for it, where he strung, he did a, a video special of celebrity tweets that were really mean. Yes. <laughs> like, those are the best. And you, you see that and you're like, wow. Yes. Okay. I, I, we ha- you know, for, for those of us who have mildly popular online presences, we have it really easy compared to that. I, people, it's so funny. It's, I always joke because like, you know, when you're in a car and you're driving and you'll say, I mean, and I'm, I'm no angel. I live in Los Angeles. So like, let's just say I have potty mouth extraordinaire when I drive mm-hmm. and I'll say the most horrific things. But it's like, if you imagine, you know, and I try to keep it under wraps, but sometimes, you know, again, driving in LA, it's a little tough. <laughs> um, but then you think, well, it's no different than if you're in the supermarket and you've got your shopping cart. Would mm-hmm. I say the same thing to those people? If their face was right there, of course I wouldn't, you know, yeah. same with this online presence. Like people think that, and I, I would never, I mean, some of the things are just horrendous like especially when people attack appearance because it's that i feel like attacking of appearance is the lowest of the low because it's really that's all you got you're gonna make fun (laughs) of my hair you're gonna make fun of my face like you know really that's it you know um can't you come up with something a little bit more clever apparently Mm -hmm. not so you're gonna make fun of you know my boobs whatevs so i I think um (laughs) it definitely means fielding a lot more uh you know, hurling of insults and, you know, rotten tomatoes being thrown at us. But I think it also makes you stronger. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Uh, well, you know, I want to ask you one question uh, about the accident. We had a, a guy who's a, a happiness researcher here named Sean Acor, who absolutely one of my favorite people on the planet. And I, I reference his work a lot, mainly because it's, you know, some of the most practical advice on happiness you'll ever find. For those of you who didn't listen to it, go back because there's no, dro- no dropping acid, no going to Burning Man, no meditating in an ashram required stuff that we can all do on awesome. a regular basis that makes, you know, literally takes two minutes a day and makes a huge difference. But one of the things uh, he actually said to me in uh, our conversation was that there's two types of people uh, they found who've been through trauma, those who experience post-traumatic stress and those who, who appre- appear actually are kind of this anomaly who appear post uh, uh, experience post-traumatic growth. And you seem to fall into the latter camp. And based on your experience, I'm very curious what you think distinguishes those two groups. Hmm. That's a good question. That's a really good question. Cause I, I try to understand that myself. Um, because there's a lot of people that came in and, and when I was in the hospital, I had a lot of visitors that were like really stressing the horribleness of it all where I was stressing the, I'm not dead. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I I think 
and I, I hate to say this because this kind of dooms those people that get into an accident. I think your, your outlook beforehand is definitely going to color your outlook afterwards. Cause I was always a glass half full kind of gal. I think, um, and I try to remain that way. I don't say that that, I don't think that's a fixed position though. I think that can change over time, but I think, uh, having a positive outlook beforehand definitely helped, um, mm-hmm. afterwards. And I kind of, I, I, without, I, I don't play this up very much, but I, I definitely have high hopes for myself. I don't, I refuse to believe that this accident could crush me. I, I thought, you know, that, what a horrible way, you know, I'm 25 years old. This, I was 25 when this happened. It was almost 10 years ago. And you know, what a horrible story, you know, I kind of, I kind of look at the big picture and I thought, you know, could, I could literally let this crush me and be that girl that was, Oh, she had such potential. So sad that this happened. And now she's just bedridden or I could be the person that kind of rose up from that, like a Phoenix, you know, and I don't see myself as a Phoenix because I honestly, the accident wasn't really, I mean, it was bad, but it wasn't, it could have been so much worse. It just, it was kind of two options. I could, you know, sit and toil or I could, or I could thrive. And so I think people, and I don't know if everybody, and that maybe that's a good way to start is to ask people, you know, did you have that thought process? Did that ever did the big picture ever cross your mind? Mm-hmm. Did your story, because again, again, it comes back to, to your story. You know, would you rather your story be told that, oh yeah, he was, he was wonderful up until that, that accident. And, and then boom, he just, we lost him. He, he wasn't, he, he was never the same again, or God, that accident really changed his outlook in, in a positive way. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know if it's, if it's asking ourselves that those, those internal questions, because for me, I definitely, I, there was, I, I also think there was no option for me to be a sour puss about it. Um, I don't think my, I honestly, I don't think my family would have had it. I think that also have, you know, my mom has my, my, my poor mother, my poor mom, you know, I had to move home because I couldn't walk. Mm-hmm. You know, she was chair of her, I think she was chair of her department. My mom's a professor at Cal state Northridge. She was chair of her department at that point, you know, having to, you know, also take care of me. My grandmother would come by almost every day. I mean, I had such powerful women and, and, and while well, my father and my brother, such powerful people in my life that wouldn't allow me to feel sorry for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that helps. So that, that's something, unfor- you know, unfortunately not everybody has. And I wish, you know, and that's why when I, when I, I've, I've had friends that have gone into the hospital, I had a girlfriend of mine who got injured about a year through three years after my accident. And I came to see her a few times and I think she was surprised because we weren't that, we weren't that close at that particular point. But I remember, I remember remembering when my friends came to visit and how that was such a huge uplift to know that you're not alone. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and, and sometimes I wish everybody could have that, but when you don't, I guess it's, it's your own internal, um, inner voice that, that can be the fuel that, I don't know, that, um, allows you to find inspiration and, and, and positivity through through such extreme circumstances. Yeah. Well, let's do this. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I, I want to start talking uh, about uh, kind of this concept of the career that you've built. And, you know, one of the things that fascinates me is that you've blended art and science in a way that I've never heard it put on this show before. Uh, so, it, I, and I want to get into some depth about that, but one of the first questions that comes from me on sort of a general level is blending the various experiences of our lives into creating, uh, sort of this multi-hyphenated or, you know, 
multi-potential career that you've built for yourself. I mean, how do we look at our own experiences and do that? Hmm. Well, I think understanding what you can bring to the table, um, because I think so many times in our life we have such self doubt mm-hmm. and thinking, Oh, you know, who am I to do this? Who am I to, to, uh, you know, cause I wanted to combine comedy and science for a lot, a while. And I even remember years ago, I, I had a card made like a, you know, a business card and I called myself an anthropologist and I wasn't an anthropologist yet. And I remember I used to write above it burgeoning, <laughs> like, and I would hand it out saying burgeoning anthropologist, but I remember kind of creating that, that, okay, well, I got this silly card made and I don't know why you did it. I really don't know why I did it. It was kind of, it was ridiculous. And I I hardly gave them out because I felt so silly about it, but it also made me go, okay, you wrote it, you put it in a card. Now you got to make it happen. (laughs) Mm. I have a weird way of inspiring myself and forcing myself to do things like going to grad school apparently. But, um, you know, I, I made myself do it and, um, get myself the street cred so I could put together comedy and science. Um, because I also, I knew that a lot of people want to do what I do, I think, or, or, or be an expert in science. And, and, and we've talked about, um, or we haven't talked about the, um, the internet. Um, there's been articles recently about the whole idea of everybody because of the internet, everybody's an expert. <laughs> everybody's an expert. Everybody knows everything. All these articles are going around. Like what's, what, what makes a perfect marriage? What makes a perfect this? What makes this, what makes that? No, we don't, you know, not, some people, some things that nobody can really know, you know, some things are just really purely subjective and re- relative. And, um, and sometimes people act as though they're science experts and, and they don't know a lick about science. So I wanted to make sure that I was not one of those people, um, before, you know, before I, I went out there and, and created this sort of combination of comedy and science. So, mm-hmm. um, for me, it, it's, it's about, uh, fighting self-doubt. I do it every day. Quite honestly, when I make my videos, I mean, I, I work with an editor, her name's May Cat. She's amazing. And she, um, you know, I, I'm very hands-on in the editing and she's very patient with me, but you know, I, I, I go through, she watches me kind of go through that process of like, Oh, I don't know. Is that joke funny? Uh, you know, and, and, and she, she's purely an, you know, from the entertainment standpoint, she's not a scientist. And so I'm, and I'm, you know, kind of a, you know, a stickler for any sort of science. Um, if there's anything that's not particularly right, I'm just like, cut it, cut it, cut it, cut it. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, she already, she always laughs at me like not, not everybody's going to know that that's wrong. And I said, well, I will know. <laughs> it's about being, it's a, you know, hold yourself accountable, um, to, to creating your best work. Yeah. I love um, that. But also not, I mean, it's, it's that weird fine line of not of being hard on yourself and being accountable, but also having that confidence and, and, and trying to, to keep self doubt to a minimum, which is so hard as you know, in the creative process, it's so easy to say this sucks. Nobody's yeah. going to like it. And, um, the cool thing about the internet is it allows you to kind of get it out there and, 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 you know, you do get those crappy tweets or those mean comments, but at least, you know, you can kind of gauge from your audience, whether, you know, other people are going to say nice things about it, whether, you know, this is, you're on the right track. Mm-hmm. So I think that definitely, um, that fine line between, um, keeping the self doubt at bay and, and, uh, also, you know, staying in line with your beliefs and your, you know, your, your integrity. Cause my scientific integrity is, is huge for me. I, I, 
even like the Bigfoot show was a great example of, of I, I was really nervous about doing the show because I knew that it's reality TV mm-hmm. and reality TV is all about spectacle. And I thought, Oh shit. You know, I, worked <laughs> so hard. I don't know if I can say that. Um, Oh shoot. Um, I, I worked so hard to keep my science to get my science street cred and I'm still gaining. I'm, I, you know, I don't have my PhD, I have my master's and, and I, I'm considering going that route, but I, I, I don't know if, um, this show is going to absolutely destroy me. Mm-hmm. And, um, the producers did an excellent job, um, keeping, you know, Dr. Todd, Dr. Todd Disatel being my co-host. He's also a very good friend of mine. Um, you know, they made us look like we knew what we were talking about because, you know, we did, but at the same time, they really could make us look like, you know, a bunch of ninnies. And they didn't. We look good. And, um, and, and, and fortunately, the scientific community, the anthropology community, for the most part, was very, very supportive. They even had a scotch and squatch party at Notre Dame University because we have a lot of friends there. So they would drink scotch and watch Sasquatch. And <laughs> so, I mean, it was a lot of really cool stuff was going on um, with the show. And, and but there there was a lot of like, oh, gosh, I, I hope I don't you know, lose my street cred in the anthropology world. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, you know, those are, those, those are valid concerns, you know, because there are people that, you know, this is a very get rich, get your 15 minutes of fame kind of world. And I'm definitely, I've been doing this since I was 18 years old and I'm not, it's been, that was a while ago. (laughs) So it's like, I've worked really hard to kind of get where I am. I'm not going to sell out I, so, okay. One, you know, that somehow you've been setting up all my questions perfectly, which really works out nicely. I'm uh, sorry if I ramble too. Cause no, I no, not at all. Um, no, I, you, somehow you're making my transition seem really, really smooth, which is, is, nice. this is great. Um, I, I can tell that you, you've been behind a camera and spent a lot of time talking to people. Like I can sense that you, you've got almost a natural ability to have a conversation. So it really works well. And I love it. Uh, oh, you know, you. it's, uh, one, I, I really appreciate that you you talked about sort of holding yourself accountable to a standard, and it, it's funny, right? You're like, yeah, nobody else will know, and and I, I've talked about this on the air before, where it's like, well, nobody else will know, Srini, that that interview wasn't your best work or something like that. And I've been, you know, I, I'll go back to people and say, I want to redo this. It's not good. Uh, yeah. It doesn't meet our standard. It's just simple. I I like, I always want to know that I've done everything I can. Um, within you know the resources and the constraints that i have like if you look at something and you know that you skimped somewhere you're like yeah we kind of just you know we we skimped that's i i think that that to me is is really uh it's one of those things in the world today that honestly is what separates people uh who do well uh, from the ones who don't which actually that really kind of is the is you know where i want to take this next uh I mean, you, you've done something really fascinating. I mean, you've blended art and science in a way to, to use comedy to educate people. And there's elements of craft, clearly, that go into what you do. You mentioned 18 years. And like you said, I think we, we live in this world where people sort of see the possibility of winning the internet lottery, uh, where, hey, somebody will, will discover your crappy video on YouTube and you'll become famous <laughs> overnight, which is clearly not the case with you because there's craft involved in all of this. Like it's, it, you know, we're hearing the story of what goes into that moment in which suddenly you get discovered by the Today Show. There's a lot of work that comes before this. And the, the question for me is, you know, as somebody who has, has seen a, a world that is incredibly ruthless, uh, the world of entertainment, uh, is, you know, one... 
the role that talent plays in all of this and two, mastering a craft, like what goes into something like this, uh, in the course of an 18 year career like yours. And, you know, I mean, do you, like I, I am at the point where even though the internet has democratized our ability to create, I still think that exceptional stuff is the only stuff that stands out. I hope so. <laughs> I always joke. I'm like, I need to get a cat. <laughs> I could be making such well-crafted cat videos. Yeah. But you're right. It, it really is those moments where, um, you know, those it, it, those je ne sais quoi moments where the cat does something perfect for 30 seconds and then all of a sudden you've got 2 million views. Um, ironically, you'll laugh. The, the video that has – my video that has the most views is called Tapers Gone Wild. <laughs> And it's two tapirs at the L.A. Zoo from, like, 2006 where it looks like one is might be doing something slightly, you know, sexual to another. Uh-huh. And that, for some reason, has the most views. So, yes, uh, it really is that uh, kind of, uh, you know, you never quite know what's going to get a million views or 200,000. But, yeah, I, I definitely think that um, as far as talent goes, thank you for thinking I have some. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, you know... Again, a lot of it is about self-confidence because I think there's plenty of talent, talented people out there. But um, and it's also self-confidence and frustration. I think that the two of them kind of um, go hand in hand when you when it comes to creating good stuff because you're frustrated because nobody's hiring you. And again, it's like, well, I better do it myself. I've got the resources. If not, I'm going to pull from friends because. Why not? You know, we're in a, t- I'm in a, I live in a town where there's tons of out of work people that have, a, you know, a plenitude of, of talent. Mm-hmm. And so why not we, why don't we band together and create some good stuff? Um, and as far as crafting, like I really do have to do a tip of the hat to some of my favorite comedians. I mean, George Carlin, um, I love, I'm a huge fan of Mel Brooks films. His comedy is a huge influence in the way I write, um, you know, Daily Show, uh, all those sort of, um, you know, carefully crafted satires I love. And I feel like that, that is what I would like to influence what I do in the future and what I do now. Um, and, and, and again, it took, you know, I've been doing this, like I said, since I was eight, my first acting job, I think you'd find this humorous. My first acting job was playing a dancing chicken McNugget in a McDonald's commercial (laughs) and I was vegetarian, you know, so it's, it's, I've come a, a long way, um, you know, choosing, um, what kind of work I do, uh, <laughs> not to say I wouldn't do it again. Cause that was a really fun job, but I, I definitely feel like, um, as far as combining everything together has kind of given me the opportunity to create something that, that is truly different and original. And, um, I, I'm, I'm glad that it's coming off as crafted because a lot of times people, you know, often question, like, even if I write my own stuff, um, for the science videos, um, they think I have like a team of writers or, or, or somebody's writing it for me or, you know, um, and I, I really want to kind of create a, a video that, that tells a story, but also makes you laugh. But you, you walk away with maybe two or three big chunks of information that you wouldn't have had before you sat down and, and, and watched one of my videos. Um, and, you know, I'm hoping more and more that I get better and better at that. Cause it really is. I watch like some of my first videos and I laugh because they're so slow and I want to pick up the pace and I'm like, what are you doing? You know, I'm yelling at the screen and I, I feel like the, it's definitely changing and evolving, um, and adapting to, of course, the ever, um, attention, um, <laughs> deficient 
internet audience because they can't stand watching a video more than, you know, two minutes long. Mm -hmm. So I definitely feel like, um, you know, pulling my resources as far as talent, you know, um, my friends that are great shooters, my friends that are wonderful editors, uh, my talented actor friends, comedian friends. I did a video called play with your balls, which (laughs) is a testicular cancer PSA. You know, it really is a serious video, but it's also silly like silly fun. And I had great comedians come in and and be a part of that. Um, and that actual, a lot of my inspiration happens in the shower. I finally bought shower crayons so Mm -hmm. I can start writing my ideas down on my tile. (laughs) Awesome. Because like, I was like, I'm sitting in the shower and I'm like, you know, testicular can't, you know, the, the, uh, Movember was coming up and I'm a couple years ago and I was like, play with your balls. (laughs) In the shower came, you know, just came to my mind. And so I was like, okay, you need these crayons. Um, but, uh, you know, that kind of stuff I think is, um, you know, pulling your, your talented people. And then of course, writing something that, uh, is smart as it can be, mm-hmm. because obviously something called play with your balls can be so cheesy and, and ridiculous. <laughs> and, and I don't, I, I, I even though I, I try to keep things a little sexy, I really try to keep them away from the trashy trashy department Mm. i try to maintain some of my (laughs) self-respect even if it's just a little awesome uh well i have one last question for you and this is how Mm -hmm. we we close all our episodes Uh, you know our show is called the unmistakable creative and we live uh in probably one of the most like you said attention deficit times uh in history and i am at this point now where i'm convinced that the things that stand out are unmistakable and so my question for you is what is it uh, that makes somebody or something, uh, as an artist or creative, or even as a person unmistakable. Hmm. I really do. I mean, it sounds, I think a little cheesy, but authenticity, I want to see somebody who I don't, I, who I, I, I'm watching them and I know it's them. I know it's not them saying somebody else's words, even though they might be saying someone else's words. I want to watch somebody being them, um, being themselves, because I think that's why do I want to watch somebody faking something? Mm-hmm. Um, I want to see originality and because everybody is original in their own way. Um, I think that makes somebody unmistakable. Um, you know, I, 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 sometimes you, sometimes you meet people and you're just like, you're bowled over by them because they're so unapologetically them mm-hmm. and in a way where you, you might be like, wow, they were kind of, they were, you know, kind of rough, but you know what? They were themselves, you know, they might've been a little harsh or maybe not obnoxious, but a little, um, kooky, mm-hmm. but they were them. They weren't putting on an act. That was, that was a hundred percent who they are. And I think that's what makes somebody unmistakable and, um, unmistakably them. And, um, I just, I like that, um, I like feeling like I'm, I'm seeing somebody, um, for who they are rather than, um, having to guess. Awesome. Well, Natalia, uh, I have to say this has been really, really, really cool. Uh, you know, you've brought a a perspective that I haven't gotten to hear on the show. I mean, you know, you've brought it from a world that I haven't gotten to be exposed to just yet. Uh, I I think our listeners are going to absolutely love you. And I, I really, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share some of your insights with our listeners, uh, here at the unmistakable creative. Thank you so much. I, I'm honored to be a part of it, honestly. Awesome. And, uh, for those of you guys listening, we'll wrap the show with that. 
Today's episode of The Unmistakable Creative has been brought to you by FreshBooks, the simple accounting solution for business owners who want to skip the headaches of tax time. No more hunting receipts, digging for invoices, or going through records one at a time. For a limited time, you can try it free for 60 days. That's two whole months to see how much more efficient it will make your invoicing process. Visit GetFreshBooks.com to learn more. And remember, when you get to the How Did You Hear About Us section, enter Unmistakable Creative. And don't forget, when you support our sponsors, you support our show. You've been listening to the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. Visit our website at unmistakablecreative.com and get access to over 400 interviews in our archives. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolves. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. 
head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.